0: Going down with Peter Schorsch is excited about our next guest. Uh, he doesn't like to he doesn't want to have to admit it, but he is a friend, dare I say mentor. He gives very good advice when I ask him, but he is that way to a lot of people. Uh, one of the dominant forces in Florida politics over the last decade, former House Speaker Dean Cannon, now managing partner of Gray Robinson Law Firm, one of, if not the biggest law firms in the state. Speaker Dean how are you I am well Peter and it's uh, it's great to talk with you it's great to talk with anybody these days since we're all stuck in our homes that's why I started this podcast I was I needed some way to have you know like an excuse to talk to my friends that I had been talking to and then I wanted other people you know to kind of just like listen in on these fun conversations and now it's kind of taken off and I don't know we may be coming to the end of this podcast because the state could be back open and we may not be hunkering down in May 1st. So um, the shelf life might be ending. How have you done with everything? Uh, you still got your wits about you? Yeah,
1: but I'll, I'll admit uh, the stir craziness uh, challenges all of us, right? Uh, we have three teenagers and they're great kids, but 17, 15 and 13 uh, all at home uh, with Ellen and me is I'm sure as it is for everybody, right? It's a challenge. We're not used to it. And you combine that. Uh, with something I know you and I have spoken about before. But when this thing started, first, you know, we all, you know, people joke about the four stages of grief, like denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance. First it was denial. Hey, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this thing's just the flu. Then it was, you know, sort of bargaining. Well, maybe it's not that bad. Then it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this thing's disrupted our entire you know, world economy and way of life. I think a lot of us now are starting to see, you know, kind of moving towards almost an acceptance, which is, okay, this isn't as bad, you know, as it could have been, the social distancing and, and the, the, the smart things that that folks have done to reduce the, you know, uh, spread of the, of the virus have helped. So it's been a it's been a bumpy ride. Um, you know, first couple of weeks were the worst. And I think now most everybody I feel like our family is sort of uh, gotten adjusted to the new routine. And now we're kind of all cautiously looking forward to a, a little bit of normalcy. But I think a lot of folks, I'd, I'd love to know what you think about this. A lot of folks think, yes, we'll get back to a more normal, but things are never going to be the same. I mean, what's your what's your take on that?
0: Um, I think things are going to change dramatically. Um, I I feel like, you know, there's a lot of risk reward decision making that people are going to have to make. And it's if you if if I have 100 M&Ms and maybe one of those M&Ms, uh, if you eat it, it will kill you. Uh, or make you at least very sick, will you eat any of the M&M's? And I think for the most part, the answer is no, or most people are going to say the answer is no. There are a lot of people who are saying, hell, I don't don't try and keep me away from my M&M's, you communist. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't <laughs> let China stand between me and my M&M's. Don't let the media keep you from your M&M's. But for me, I'm just going to say, you know what? I don't need M&M's. And I guess, you know, in my place in life, I don't have to go and eat M and M's uh, right now, you know. Meaning, I don't have to, you know, I don't have to. I'm not working at a restaurant, uh, you know. I'm not. I'm not doing some of those things that uh, other people are, are are doing. So, I think people. A lot of people are going to make some decisions here. I think also, you know, this is something that we're going to have to live with constantly until we have a vaccine. You know, the real long-term danger is if. You know, we kept hearing, well, this is like the flu. If this manages out to be, you know, just like the flu and we've got influenza and COVID-19 coursing its way through America, um, you know, the flu kills a lot of people and it sends a yep. lot of people to the hospital. And, you know, it puts a tremendous strain on our healthcare care system. Um, I don't know what that looks like, even if there's no like like spike or epidemic. I don't know what that looks like long term. If we've got two of those uh, mothers just coursing their way through American society, yep, agreed. And it and it calls into question,
1: you know, especially for the healthcare industry. You know, you, you talk about those kind of those those odds, playing odds with the the law of large numbers, like the M M&M and M example. It's tricky, right, in society. And especially for those in government, and I, I, I got to say, I, I'm glad I'm not in office, and I'm praying for the people who are in office right now. Because a lot of people are
0: are glad. About, oh, you, I'm sorry. Go
1: ahead. Yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Well, yeah. By the way, so is Mrs. Cannon and the little cannons, and that's a good thing. Um, she's the speaker of our house. I'll say that. Uh, but, but the, you know, if you think about it, any societal endeavor comes with a human cost. You know, I mean, you can you can do the statistics. Building right. a skyscraper. Uh, insurance actuaries will tell you, typically, you know, for every, for every you know, so many thousand square feet of vertical construction or every so many miles of road built, a certain number of people will get injured or killed. But we've decided as a society, roads and buildings are essential. But how we manage risk and how we reduce risk is is the key. And here we have an unknown risk. it's We can't yet quantify it. And that's, I think, the worst part about COVID-19 is we don't have enough data yet to make good decisions or make, make prudent decisions so you err on the side of caution i'm hopeful that as we get more information more understanding of you know exactly how contagious is it what's the lethality how do we you know develop a vaccine how can we you know still keep prudent social distancing but get the economy sort of back operating again those are all things where that right now they're scary but each day we get more data and I'm hopeful that's going to continue to improve both the, the psychological burden on, on all of society and give the decision makers, you know, more tools because, you know, better, better data makes for better decisions. But it's just been, you know, uh, I, th- I think you said it the other day, people are going to look back 30 years from now and say, you know, hey, what was that COVID-19 thing like? You know, and, and hopefully by then it's, you know, a story of how we all pulled together and recovered well. But, boy, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely going to be a cultural change cultural and economic game changer for a long time.
0: Uh, You speak as if um, you have a brother who may be a doctor um, (laughs) and are bringing some of the, like, I will say this, I don't know a lot of doctors and a lot of healthcare professionals that are, this is not like they're split 50 50. Like there isn't like, you know, you find you, you definitely can find the outlier. um, And you're always going to have somebody that's an outlier um that's why there is that term but this is still like you know every doctor is saying one thing and the only people that are really saying the opposite are are for the most part are are libertarians are conservatives who and that isn't to criticize them they're they're chafing at you know government's expansion here and that's that's a worthwhile argument to have i mean you know agree, can yeah. you know i I will say, like early on, I supported Governor Ron DeSantis's. He seemed to be having like a a political philosophy class. And he was saying, listen, I can send people home, but they're not going to, you know, or I can keep people locked down, but, you know, eventually people are going to resist against that. And Mm -hmm. we're seeing that happen. You know, people are, whether they're being instigated to do so or not. You know, I think people maybe could – I think people are at their limit like right now. I think we can maybe get to May 1st. But with the weather warming up and people wanting to be outside and, you know, the the homeschooling, the stress of that and the economics, I think we are – we're bumping up against our – I don't know, like the American limit. I think other societies can do it different. I think, you know, societies that live under authoritarian regime – and also, societies like in Europe, where there is a a more communal aspect, and not the rugged individualism that we have. Um, but I, I think, like we are, that May first is working out because that's also about where our where our American limit is at. Yep. No, I think that's well said. The the,
1: the you know the difference typically is you know in the United States, there's no ceiling and there's no floor. You know, in the United States, if you're, you can be born in poverty and die, you know, very wealthy, and you can be born very wealthy and die in poverty. In you know some middle European or, or in some uh, you know European countries, if you're born in the you know lower middle class, you're going to die in the lower middle class, no matter what you do, no matter how smart you are. And if you're born sort of in a you know layered upper economic era, it you know they, they have no there's very stratified, and there's there's no upward or downward mobility. But you're right. They can lock people down very easily because people are used to it. OK, we, you know, we have to stay in our homes here. There is that um, very uh, cultural and psychological belief that you know, the individual should be allowed to make their own decisions and succeed or fail on their own merits. It's but by the same token, we all pull together. This is almost a warlike uh, environment where the war is against a pathogen, a new pathogen. That less than four months ago had never been experienced by a human, and now it's all over the world and killing people. You know, that's, a, that's a serious threat. That's where, that's where a temporary infringement on individual liberties makes sense. But you're right. There's a, there's a real practical limit to, to how much and for how long people will, uh, will stand that. I think you're right. Everybody's kind of reaching, their, reaching their, their tipping point. And again, hopefully that's happening about the time we can figure out how to lessen the constraints – but still minimize the spread of the virus, you know. And, and you're right; it's it's a it's a blessing to have a brother who's a doc, and he says what everybody says, which is, look, you don't have enough data, but you've got to let um, you've got to recognize that people experience it differently. You know, yes, younger people can get it, but it's just statistically speaking, it's more dangerous to those who are older, those who have certain risk factors. Okay, so how do we protect those most vulnerable, but still, you know? Uh, allow reasonable relaxing of the standards for people who are, who are more uh, able to resist it, you know, and that's, but there's no, like I said, it's, it's just a tough, tough decision making. And I think um, everybody as a whole has responded remarkably well. I, I agree on that. Wondering, it's uh, like somebody said it was like post nine one one. People are polite. You know, I just got, I just got home from Publix, you know, and I wore my mask and did that sort of thing. And I've been telling every, every staffer there, Hey, thanks for staying open. Thanks for keeping us safe. The one-way aisles. At first, they were sort of a curiosity, but people have kind of gotten into it. Like, oh, wrong way, you know that that sense that we are facing a common enemy, and in this case, the enemy is not a political enemy. I mean, certainly politicians on both sides can have views on it, but the enemy is a biologic pathogen, and it's 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 a it's a bad pathogen. <laughs> we know it's bad. Where no matter where you feel about the political decisions, it's the bad actor here or the bad threat we've got to respond to, and I think that's. People, I, the people I've dealt with, even those who are frustrated, have been remarkably supportive of each other as fellow humans, remarkably polite and positive and trying to kind of recognize, wow, you know, we just got to fight this thing and we got to look out for each other in the process. And there's some there's some positives to go along with the understandable, understandable negatives.
0: So what you're saying is you haven't been on Twitter in a while. Is yeah. that that's, <laughs> no. <laughs> long and short of it is you have not been on Twitter or Facebook uh, yes. I,
1: oh, I've, I've seen plenty of that, but I chalk that up. I chalk that up to an understandable outlet of aggression. Like I've been, I've been watching old, uh, ultimate fighting championship fights on ESPN, uh, as surrogate aggression. I think people on social media, hopefully, hopefully, you know, uh, people screaming at each other on social media is a, is a nice outlet to prevent them from actually screaming at each other, uh, you know, in the aisles and in the streets, but yeah, it's, it's grumpy. People, people have some legit, legitimate anger built up right now. I think,
0: I think honestly, one of the big surprises of this entire thing is how well people are doing. I read a Bloomberg article, um, I think maybe a week ago and it's a, it was an opinion piece saying, you know, Hey, you know, surprisingly, we're pretty good at this hunkering down, you know, and that isn't a privilege comment. That's, you know, that's more to the, you know, it's easy for, you know, me and you on um, your various compounds and um, <laughs> all and that different. prepper stuff, all that prepper stuff doesn't right. sound so crazy now, does it? Right. No, I know. <laughs> um, and with all of that, you know, we were expected to get by. But what is remarkable is the folks and, you know, a, a, a two in one, and they're getting through it. And mm-hmm. they're grumbling a little bit and they want to know what's going on. But you know, they're they're doing it. And you look at all the people that the incredible workforce, you know, all the people, you know, the, the Amazon delivery folks, the Uber delivery folks, uh, all the people that continue to visit my house every 20 minutes, seemingly, yeah. because yeah. Michelle has just, um, you know, oh, no, we needed this. I'm like, oh, oh OK. Um, those people have just pulled through immensely uh and so it, it's yep. kind of remarkable how it is um how are you doing cuz you have a different set of circumstances with this i have one 7 year old child you have three uh you know older children how is the homeschooling working in that environment well it's it's been a curious uh
1: uh laboratory for that our youngest uh who's 13 had already started homeschooling in January, it was new, and she was enjoying and making the adjustment well and wonderfully, um, she's, she was sort of already there and we've joked that she was ahead of the curve and she's doing fine. Um, our 15 year old daughter was has been frustrated by it uh, because in addition to the school, and, and, and all three of our kids I think are much more tech savvy than Ellen and I are, which is hopefully, I'm sure is common. So the, the, the adapting to the process was fine, but, like, our, our middle daughter um, takes piano lessons. And we had to figure out how can you do piano lessons. Yeah. Um, and here's what's great, though. Just like you were saying, we figured it out. with where You can set up an iPad so the teacher can see the keyboard and then an, and a laptop so she can see the teacher. And it's working, you know. And so that's been uh, pretty neat. And then our oldest, Dean the third, who's 17 – He's tech savvy. He's been doing fine. He said it's great because it enables him more flexibility. He says, I'm hoping this is like college. And I've, of course, told him, no, son, this is nothing like college. And don't start thinking about that yet. But <laughs> he's he's doing fine. What so a terrible view of college. A horrible I mean, view that... of college. Yes. I'm like, College is much better than this. Yes. Right. But, you know, I, I've tried. To, then he then when he starts asking about it. I usually quickly change the subject to why he needs to make better grades. So it's like that's uh, that's the usual usual pivot. Um, but, no, they're doing well, and um, I think Governor Sanders made the, the tough but smart call to just say rather than try and send everybody back, particularly with the, you know, still a lot of lack of data, just leave schools where they're at. You know, let the school year finish out with everybody in this current mode. Um, and, again, every single week brings more information that we can use to make smarter decisions. Um, and so I think they're all, they're all going to be better off for having made this adjustment and then the actual functional schools will have the summer to adjust and get, hopefully get ready to open again in the fall.
0: Um, okay. I know that. All right. So we could do a whole podcast about this next question. You're the leader of a major employer. Um, I mean, you've got, you've got over 500 employers, employees, right at the different, um, which means you probably qualified for nine or ten different uh, loans, and you probably took the money, and then uh, had a big dinner at Roots Chris. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, we actually we actually didn't, but we may look at some of them. I mean, it's like
1: it's it's tricky. There's, yeah, we got you know over 500 employees, and um and fortunately for us, you know, legal services were deemed essential services under most of most of the um, local and state. Uh, uh, safer at home orders. But for us, you're right, it was a massive logistical challenge. You know, we've, we've got 15 offices, uh, you know, 570 employees. And, and the scariest week for me, um, when this sort of became real for me, was right after sunny die. You know, that last week of session, this thing was building and building, but I was very focused on sort of watching how that session was playing out. And then, you know, that first weekend when they shut down, well, we, we were going to go uh, to Colorado for spring break. And then they shut down the ski resort. So I'm thinking, wow. With Jeff you know, Cot
0: Camp or with that? Yeah, I wasn't going with Jeff Cot Camp. No. And that's one reason I typically don't tweet a lot. Yeah, I I, uh, I did not tweet. A I lot literally have a sign on my computer that says, it says don't be a Cot Camp. Um, and I love the <laughs> LG. I mean, he, he was He's kind of pissed great that guy. I gave him a down arrow. He's like, thanks for the cheap shot. And I'm like, you complaining about this down arrow is further proof that He's you deserved right. it. <laughs> and it's just like, I, I right always right. like, cause I, I think we've canceled like, I don't know. We were probably going to be on nine Disney cruises between cruisers. Right. Yeah. And we would have, and every time I'm like, I can't believe my Disney cruise is canceled. I always stop and I'm just like, but that pales in comparison to the sacrifices other people or, you right. know, like, I, <laughs> because well, no, that's, you just that's, don't want to get flamed the you way don't want to get flamed.
1: And and it's funny. There's it's that's proof about the importance of using precise language. <laughs> um, you know, Jordan Peterson says he believes in using precise language. And I'm a big fan of precise uh, language for that reason, because it would be easy to express frustration. And we've all got frustration. You know, oh, my gosh, I'm so frustrated. My Disney cruise has been canceled you know, praying for the workers and the people still stuck aboard cruise ships with COVID-19. You you can, Mm -hmm. you can convey, Hey, this is a really tough thing and I'm upset about it. And, but I get it. And boy, I'm, I'm grateful. You know, I want to, I want to think of those who are in a worse shape. You know, we, there's so many people affected. Everybody suffers differently. That's something that is sort of a a mental health concept that I would, I've, I've experienced in my life. People experience the same crisis or event very differently based on their own life experience. Right. So for, for me and our firm, yes, it was a big adjustment and it was very scary. And the, the operational change to remote work was a big undertaking. But, uh, like we were just talking about our employees, our it staff in particular, that suddenly, you know, we weren't scaled to have everybody work virtually in literally in about six business days, we got the whole, everybody trans transferred to work from home. And it was remarkable. And I, I've, I've, I've told our team, boy, that's a great, you know, testament to our employees. And, you know, we need to be helping our clients because we do represent restaurants and people in the travel and tourism industry who've been devastated. And that's where, you know, looking out for each other and expressing compassion and support for people who are suffering, those who are suffering more or worse than we are, and realizing people may be experiencing differently is one of the keys to, I think, kind of keeping things in perspective and, looking for the good to come out of all of this.
0: Um, When did coronavirus get real for you? Um, And I don't want you to answer that as an individual. When did, because I I can, just for variety's sake for this podcast, everybody says basically March 11th when the NBA closed down or something similar like that. I want to know you as a a firm leader, when did you know, hey, we're going to have to do things differently (laughs) from a, from a whole business perspective, uh, when did that hit you all?
1: It was it was literally that weekend, um, right after Sunny die and that first week when people in as I was and it was talking to the people in our various offices. We've got 14 offices in Florida and one in Washington DC, and you know in our South Florida offices where there were more uh, COVID 19 cases. We were trying to make the decision, you know, do we do we move them to another office? You you know, it was it was when there was a lack of data, but a clear need to act Uh, that that weekend and that first couple of days that week, I realized, like, wow, this is a bigger deal than any of us anticipated or may or certainly bigger than I had recognized it up to that point. And unfortunately, it got bigger from there. It was sort of like a big, uh, you know, onsetting realization during that week of, wow, this thing's rough and uh it was just it was it was I, I kept a journal one of my my new year's resolutions this year is keeping a, a, a bullet journal and i'm like wow i wrote some stuff in there that i wouldn't read it on a podcast but it's just like wow that was a scary time and no
0: we would love can we i'll go another like, <laughs> if we could just have you read that into the podcast right that would yeah. be incredible that that's a whole series i would love that would a whole be a thing, very like Dean's diary and you Dean's just, diary. Yeah, there's some answers. Th- Better left unsaid. I I am your friend and we talk offline a lot. And I will tell you that would be very interesting. That would be <laughs> that would be that would be an interesting podcast. Yeah, I would win some, some awards, but I think you would lose some clients. I, I think might, that that would uh, be the trade-off on risk
1: for, versus I'm reward. Not there. Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm taking enough risk right now with this COVID nineteen thing.
0: Let's limit it to that for, for now. Oh man um all right when uh what was your last normal day uh
1: gosh last normal day was uh last two days of session when it was just sort of work and getting things done and you know i was i was uh, the firm was firing on all cylinders we were looking to see how things landed with the budget and that that was the last time
0: things felt sort of to me normal and nothing's been normal since um did you did you have a good session how did i mean i don't it's so hard to talk about session now although it seems so far away yeah well we were um two of your colleagues or two of uh yeah two friends of ours uh tracy and frank we did a zoom happy hour last night with the maronix and they're like i they had heard a rumor that the budget was coming back on friday and you know all of a sudden they had to go put their lobbying outfits back on you know and it's like Wait a second. We've got a – especially with the governor kind of threatening budget vetoes and things like that. So it's kind of – it's interesting to remember, hey, by the way, there's this whole budget out there that was passed six weeks ago that still has to be signed into law.
1: Yep, yep. That was, that was based on an entirely different world than the one that we live in now. It's you know the, the, the economic models, the operational models, the healthcare projections, the Medicaid Revenue Estimating Committee – so many of those things that that budget was based on are different that yeah it's it, it was I will say this for us it was a really good session things were everything was trucking along great and um, you know no sessions ever perfect but I think we all have to accept that yes the apparatus of state government has to continue um, but if anybody has any illusion that it's going to be like it was or that, or that, that what was in that session will reflect what's really going to happen. I think they need to dis- disabuse themselves of that. Cause I just don't think, I just don't think that's reality.
0: Does, um, you know, like Bill Clinton said something, I think right after nine 11, that kind of regretted not being president. Um, or, and I don't, I'm not trying to cast dispersions about the statement, but he regretted not being president, president during nine 11, because it was such a big event and, his presidency and his time in office, for better or worse, was marked by a, a relatively uneventful eight years. Uh, you know, it was the kind of small ball politics. Um, and that's from reasonable people. economic growth. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a. it was a, a, a very, you know, peace and prosperity. This isn't necessarily a negative thing, but he missed the challenge of, you know, uh, of being president under this crisis by that same kind of, you know, logic. Do you wish you were in office at some level right now so that you could, you know, be part? And assuming that you're part of like leadership or something like that, I wouldn't want you to be like a backbencher or an irrelevant <laughs> lawmaker like Anthony Sabatini or something like that. Oh, um, stop! I, or I, Mike I, Hill. He's, uh, no, actually, Sabatini, way, of- Sabatini's yeah. doing good work uh, on the National Guard, so we're gonna, you know, we're not gonna dog him right now. Like he's. You got it. You got like, he's it. He's doing. No, he's doing it. So. I,
1: I would say this, um, I, for me, that's a tough answer. Cause, cause, cause I, when I was speaker, it was a crisis. It was a, it was a, it was a budget recession. And, you know, if you think about sort of what happened during my time in leadership, it, it was hard times, you know, the, the chairman of the Republican party of Florida, you know, got indicted the, you know, the global economy melted down, you know, we had chaos and stuff. So it was, so I, I can't believe, as I've nasty. told people,
0: time <laughs> in office. Oh my God. Stop, oh, wait, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> stop. Hold on. Stop, oh,
1: man, I, this is why I love and I hate, this talking. is why you love me. <laughs> probably, probably part of it is absolutely true. So, so I did serve during a crisis. And so to that extent, I would like to, I would like to be at the table to be part of the solution, but I'll also say, because I did it during a crisis, I know how grueling that is. And I really, I don't, I don't envy the folks who are, who are in office right now. I, I think we need to pray for them. All of them, both parties, you know, are all offices and say, listen for wisdom and protection and guidance, because this is an unknown, right? I mean, there's, there's no playbook for this. So you have to rely on good judgment, getting good input, you know, and, um, and, and trust them to do their best to make good decisions. So I don't, I don't miss being in office. I always would love to do, be able to do something that helps produce solutions. Um, but, uh, and, and in a sense, I think right now I'm, I'm glad to be, you know, hopefully being a good influence in the private sector in my company and helping us make good, good decisions, uh, in an otherwise unprecedented time.
0: Um, okay. Last question. Uh, we asked all of our guests to give us two or three recommendations on things that they're watching or reading or playing or downloading, what have you. Um, What is popular in the Canon household right now? Uh, (laughs) Great question. Or or both
1: in terms of activities and diversions. Um, I think like a lot of people, uh, I use Netflix as my my, uh, sedative to get me onto a treadmill. So um, I had just finished up or was actually – I just recently finished up Breaking Bad. I had skipped that when it came Ah. out so i'm just literally just watched the last episode of breaking bad that was fascinating really intense uh well filmmaking i thought that was impressive i'm i'm now plowing through tiger king that's a good one uh as a family it's been interesting you know we had uh we gave the dog a haircut, right? We're doing things as a group where it's let's get creative. You know, we're
0: is that a metaphor for something? Or no, that's not a metaphor.
1: That's that's an actual. Oh, <laughs> an actual okay, expression all right. So, okay. giving the dog a haircut, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, and you know, uh, challenging each other in you know competitions and things like that. It's it's just hard because the the natural enthusiasm that we would all have if this was a Fun spring break! Oh, we just get to stay at home for a week. Okay, well that's fine. That that might be interesting, but it's not. It's a forced isolation producing combined with a bunch of stress on everybody, and so it's been hard. I we you know I try to focus on keeping a sense of humor, um, and and a positive mental attitude because it's just it's we need that right now. Humor is the WD forty I think of of a lot of human interactions, and uh, you know we're trying to trying to keep it light.
0: That's a uh, that's that's well said. You uh, you both laugh and make people laugh. At least you do in my conversations with you. And um, that's um, like I I know that I make people laugh, but I don't really laugh except like with con- like watching television shows. It's not that I don't find other things funny. I find things funny the way comedians like if you're backstage with a group of comedians, like they don't belly laugh. They go, "Oh, that's funny!" Like they get yeah. it. And, and exactly. It's that's how I respond. And people like, think like, Oh my God, is this guy like on the you know spectrum? Like he can't laugh at this really funny joke. And I'm like, I'm just not that person. I just, I, I hear a good story and I'm like, God, that's funny. Um, I don't know. So. Yep. All right, yeah, my man.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you, Peter. Thanks for, thanks so much for having me on. And um, thanks for, for your contribution to keeping everybody uh, keeping things in perspective, uh, being, you know, kind of our fourth estate, uh, challenger of both sides and all that. Uh, keep 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 doing what you're doing.
0: You know, if I had any regret, it's that um, I was not in this position while you were speaker, because it would have been so much fun <laughs> to give you the same shit oh, oh that I give Oliva and all of them, and it just like I could see you with your dividing the court in two and me having snarky tweets and oh, you gosh. you know sending Matt Ball to kick my ass and it would have been I'll, uh it would have been fun. It would have been It fun. would have it it would have been fun and I would
1: have absolutely sent Matt Ball to kick your ass. You would have deserved <laughs> it. So it would have been worthwhile. It would have been worthwhile.
0: Our, Pete Cannon, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us.